Welcome to episode 362 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man sitting across the table from me. He is standing tall. He is standing proud. He no longer sits down in his chair. He'll explain. It's Russell John the Fisherman. Um, hi, everybody. How are you doing? I, I do wish we were standing. I've actually, you know, we talked about it. Standing tables. I think I belittled Randy. I said, oh, you got big money now, so you bought a table that adjusts. And he was like, dude, I think they're like $300 each. You just ruined the bit. I'm trying oh. to do a thing. Oh, to the where theater I- of the mind? Yes. Okay. And you ruined it. I'm sorry, but uh, I wanted to get Your to- improv skills- Hey, Amazon- Are bringing down the show. Amazon was listening, and constantly now, when I watch Twitch or anything, I get ads for tables that adjust. And every time it's almost like it's Randy doing it because they're all like $240. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what happened with me? Last week, last week I had to say uh, the word India a lot. Oh, no. Because I was, you know, I I, I had to do some work over there. And YouTube started showing me India news. (laughs) Not one time have I looked at anything. Dude, concerning every time you take a government contract and they got to fly you out there, they're always listening. They start inundating your feed with India. It's beautiful. And uh, more on that is our resident expert of everything having to do with Big Brother listening in on us. It's Randy Michael Stapp. That's me. I don't know too much about, um, you know, the government or Big Brother. But speaking of India, I went to a curry up now this week which we have one out here. I hadn't been to one in years yeah. since uh, I used to live in San Francisco. Now, aren't, aren't they a Bay Area organization? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know where they uh, originate. But uh, it, was, it was good yeah. stuff. You never had curry up now? No. They have, uh, they have sweet potato fries, and they do like a loaded sweet potato fry. Okay, so it is a fusion thing. It's like street Indian food. Dude. I actually think that that is their. Yeah, you could get like a, yeah, in a burrito. Oh wow, you'd like which it. is what I got, dude. You get some naan and make like a taco out of it, like a garlic naan with some like chicken tikka masala. Oh, dude, that would be fucking badass street food. I yeah. fuck with that. That the name just feels a little mean. I don't know why. It's the uh, chipotleization of India. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't make me say it again. I, you know, it's, it's funny. Very difficult. Uh, shout out to our buddy, um, who's the East Bay cinematographer we always talk about, Jasadi. He was telling me a story about how he met an MS-13 member who was a uh, middle management dude at Chipotle. He had showed him the tattoo and everything. Oh, boy. Again, to get into MS-13, you need to kill somebody. So, <laughs> oh. allegedly. Him up. I thought MS-13 was like a middle school in like New York City. No. That's what it's because they got PS one forty two. I know. Yeah, it's so one of the portals. I thought that was one of the first Microsoft operating systems. Also joining us is Oksana <laughs> Valerian of Osachi. Hi. I looked up Curry Up Now and I super want to try it. We have one in San Mateo, which is pretty close to us. Yeah, that's the one I used to go to. <laughs> on down on B Street. Nope. I'm all sticks, baby. I want gourmet Korean corn dogs. That's my favorite God, fucking thing. You <laughs> and I'm you know, again, this is coming from your brother, but you are trash. <laughs> <laughs> I found out we do have a Korean corn dog spot here at a Ponce City Market. 
I went to go get a Bon Me over the weekend. I took a long, uh, a long walk. I got a uh, fifteen thousand steps in, and I got lunch there. Oh. But I, I, I didn't go to the corn dogs. But now I know what I'm going to get next time I go there. How was your Bon Me? Uh, it was pretty solid. <laughs> it was good. Is it Mister Bon Me level? It was good. Uh, no, not not. I wouldn't say not close, but Mister Bon Me is. Uh, they know what's up. It's the tip of the top, man. It's very good. That no. pate. What are you talking Flamin about? Flamin' Cheeto Korean corn dog is the fucking trash man. You want to, uh, you know, <laughs> fusion cuisine? It's the pinnacle. It's fantastic. They have ASMR videos of those things being eaten. Oh, dude. It sounds disgusting. Oh, so, my God. I don't, I don't remember if this came up on the show, but I went and I was visiting with my parents and I had told my dad that you said Iron Chef was back. Yeah. Did we talk about that on here? Not on here, I don't think. Okay, well, my dad was like, bullshit, it's not back. I would know if it was back. And I'm no, like, bullshit, it's back. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was saying, he's saying it's, it's not, not back. back. Yeah. And I was like, no, dude, I believe Clark. I, I don't think he would get this. Why wrong. would I lie to you about watching the entire first <laughs> season of the reboot <laughs> well, of Iron Chef? So after we talked about it, I went back and I went, uh, hey, let's throw that on. Because my dad will sit there and he'll just, he'll fucking uh, mystery science theater everything you're watching, except it's not clever jokes. It's just, this is bullshit. Why are we watching? I hate this. Yeah, and, I've met your dad. And he thinks it's a bit. And I'm like, this is just making everybody in the room mad. Correct. So I said, hey, let's just watch Iron Chef. And he's like, it's not on there. And I'm like, oh, so we pulled it up. Uh, guess what his reaction was? What? The fuck is this? Yeah. This ain't the Iron Chef. These are fucking reality TV cooks. And my mom's sitting there and she's like, this guy owns like two restaurants. He's all over it. Like, it's what, what it always was. And then he's just like, no. These aren't Iron Chefs. And I'm like, okay, what's the distinction? They weren't his He's Iron like, Chefs. an Iron Chef needs to go through the training. And I was like, okay. <laughs> what is the gauntlet? And he's like, this is bullshit. This is like an echo of the Iron Chef. But he couldn't back it up. It was... <laughs> can, I, can I speak to your father right now yeah, through please. the show? Yeah. Sean, <laughs> you have to know that the Iron Chef's not real. <laughs> it's not a real thing. This is a TV show. The chairman, he's an actor. <laughs> and guess what, Sean? He's Hawaiian. <laughs> he's not Japanese. And his uncle doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a show. It's a show, Sean. Now, what's funny is my, my little sisters were there. And um, their relationship with Japan is so different than my dad's. Because in the 80s, Japan was like this mystical country where ninjas and samurais came from. Like back in the day, if you had a katana, people would be like, whoa, what kind of sword is that? Like we are so far removed. So I was trying to explain, see, to my dad, it's still a mystical place. Like it's an island far away. And they would grow these things, ninjas, which nobody knew about, or it's samurais, which were these weird kind of warriors. And Iron Chefs, <laughs> these mystical That's warriors right. <laughs> who would come into a gauntlet and, you know, it really meant something. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen the classic Iron Chef Kurosawa films. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you but, you know, it came to mind because the first challenge was uh, street food. And they had a lot of fusion stuff. And I'm just like, dude, curry on. I could see. Or curry up? Curry up. Oh, curry on is an English. Curry on is, <laughs> yes. Dude, 100%. If they had that, any, well, again, you know, um, chicken tiki masala is a British oh, dish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot of influence, you know, Indian influence in Britain cuisine. 
Um, and so they a hundred percent would do <laughs> curry on. That's very good. Um, dude. Yeah. So, uh, warning up top, we got no TBR report this week. We have no own vu, own shadows in the desert. None of that. I didn't even get any, uh, magical wisdom for y'all. So we're not going to be doing any psycho magic. Yeah, dude, you got to pick it up on the psycho magic. But we do have <laughs> our, uh, <laughs> our award-winning segment, uh, the rehearsal roundup. So we will be looking yeah, at Nathan yeah, Fielder's yeah. new show. And there were a couple things from the last episode that I wanted to close the book on. Um, one, my mom chimed in on Randy's uh, problem of birds killing themselves via his house. <laughs> uh, so she bird. texted me. Singular. Bird. She said, a bird flying into your window means they are taking a soul from your immediate life. <laughs> oh my Fuck. So, I didn't know I still had one. No, I don't. Now, I don't think it's from you, but I think what she's trying to say is it's akin to like dreaming about losing your teeth. Like yeah. somebody around you is going to die. Uh, um, so, so thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks. It could be one of us. Then she also <laughs> chimed in again. God, it really could be. Yep. Um, thanks, Randy. So she also chimed in on, uh, I got hung up on the name Johnny Fairplay. Like, who the fuck is Johnny Fairplay? And of course, none of you knew who it was. Uh, she said Johnny Fairplay was on Survivor. He pretended that his grandmother died to get sympathy votes and win. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, of all the facts. Sounds like people we know. <laughs> of all the facts that come in and out and get distorted in my brain, that one, for some reason, was stuck to the wall. Uh, yeah, Johnny Fairplay. There's a good look inside my mind. Um, uh, what else do we got? Also, we wanted to plug, Oksana, you got to tweet this out on Tuesday, that um, Zach Carter from Party Starter from Intervision had, um, he DM'd me talking about he loved our talk on Cruel Jaws. Of course, this might be a little bit of corporate nudging as he works for Severin. But um, he shared with me a video of the Hulk Hogan lookalike appearing on WWE yeah, and dude. acting via Randy Orton back in the day. Um, Clark and, and Zach were both like, eh, it's a little long and kind of boring. I fucking loved it. I liked it. Uh, what was happening is Randy Orton brings out the cast of the Hulk Hogan show, uh, Hogan's Way. What the hell is it called? Hogan? Okay. No, you misinterpret my words. I enjoyed that. I said that it bombed, mm -hmm. which it did bomb in that crowd. Well, I think, again, um, Randy Orton, this was in his uh, high. The, the, Randy Orton was always the best when he was a heel. And he was a fantastic a great heel. And I think that was a tribute to how good he was, was that the audience was completely demoralized. 100%. Because when I was a kid, I hated Randy Dude, Orton. So good. I love the theme. I, You know. Man, we don't give enough credit to pro wrestlers as like actors who are doing like a live improv and it's a live audience they're dealing with. And just the that raising his arms at shoulder level, that like arrogant pose, he was the best. And when he brought out this like lookalike family of the Hogan's, which the dad was the dude from Cruel Jaws, what a perfect, what a perfect moment. And then also he makes out with the fake Brooke Hogan. Yeah. Dude, what it was a, hotter than the real Brooke Hogan. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole family was like a foot shorter than the real family. Yeah. Which was incredible. And that fake Hogan being in the ring, dude, he looked so much like Hulk Hogan. Dude. <laughs> I wish we could have got more of that. But 
Um, again, a little uh, behind the curtain here. Zach did tell me that he would have loved to track down that guy for a uh, bonus feature on the Cruel Jaws Blu-ray. And he's like, dude, I really tried. He said it got so far that he started cold calling random numbers in Florida trying to get a hold of this dude. Jeez. So just <laughs> this is these are the lengths that Severin goes to for these bonus features. Um, Zach, thanks for sharing that. And that video, we got to we got to put that out there. Other than that, I think I think I'm good up top. Now, mm-hmm. I did make a promise last week yep. that I was going to do my best to try and hit an, an hour here. We've been uh, overstaying our welcome and Clark berates me every time we get off. So I've got two films. I'm sharing them both with Clark. No segments. I think we could do it this week. Well, we have one segment. Let's bring him Well, in. we got, do we want to bring in David right now? Let's bring him in. All right. We got any bets? Any predictions? Well, you know, I think that we just got a baseline of coffee. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel like we, we've been on this recent venture of, you know, uh, train car accounting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that we, we stay in that line. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't see a new, uh, what was last week? He, oh, the big, um, reveal that he is in, he's sleeping in one oh, of the cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been really bringing the improv in. So I'm not sure. I, he did have an attitude of like, he wanted to hurry up and go. I think he heard last week and he's on it. So I, um, I'm, I'll say epoxy. I don't oh, know. Yeah. And his building materials. Yeah. I, I'm going to go back to pay. I'll go with paper towels. They made one appearance. Paper towels are like popcorn. It's never coming back. Everybody loved it. And then it's like, no, it's, he's done with it. All right. I'm going to go paper towels. All right, y'all. He's pre- going to do paper towels before he ever does cake. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm going to vote uh, some kind of paint. <laughs> Temper paint. <laughs> What yeah, kind of paint? I guess paint. I don't know. I don't know what kinds there are. <laughs> There's oil paint, temper paint, uh, paint you snuff. Yeah, sniffing paint, sniff, snuff, snuffing paint. <laughs> uh, Randy, any predictions? Yeah, I'm going to guess this week that he finds Brad Pitt on his train. Oh my god! Oh <laughs> shit, dude! What a teaser that is. All right, well, let's bring him in. Good morning. It's August seven. 2022, and it's a Sunday. Day two of weekend projects, and day two for the opportunity to ride the fun work train. I guess a definition of fun work is work that we would want to do, love to do, whether we got paid for it or not. Today, I'm going to be getting a coffee and maybe some popcorn from the dining car. And I'll be working then with resin, (laughs) epoxy clay, wire, oil paint, varnish, and glue. Ooh. Everyone, okay. have a great day. Thanks, David. You that train car is going to stink to high heaven. <laughs> Dude, coffee and popcorn. Popcorn's back, baby. Man. That's a bad combination. What? Together? No, hell no. That's my, if we're going to see a movie at the Roxy at like 1 p.m., dude, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> and that nerd said the same thing. 
Dude, I love it. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's good you, if you man. have some food in your stomach beforehand, though. If not, I think it kind of messes me up. Uh, I don't know. I disagree. I drink coffee on an empty stomach every single day. Yeah, no, it fucks your stomach up. Nope. Nope. I'm telling you, my stomach has been fine. The coffee, <laughs> I, you know what? It, it's, you know, the diet is better. It's less food. I'm eating less food. That's better. Um, dude, yesterday, you know, the only thing I ate, and I am embarrassed because it was a bad night because I felt terrible. All I had was Panda Express. It was miserable. Dude. Okay. I fell asleep at 7.30 last night. Do you want to? Yeah. I think, honestly, a lot. I used to eat a lot of bad food. I used to eat Jack in the Box a lot. And Ugh. I was like, oh, I thought it was just normal to have diarrhea constantly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Munchy meal, too. Dude. Just three people's worth of food. Exactly. But now, you, you want to know who I love to hate now? Mm. Popeyes. Dude, there's something about it. I don't know what they're putting in it, but when I, after it, honestly, I'm probably eating too much. But after? I think it's got a lot to do with it. Dude. It weighs me down. It makes me feel lethargic. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's fried food, dude. I, I know. But, it's, man, I, Yeah, it's fried, heavy batter. Yeah. yeah. You're in Carb City. Dude, yeah, it's gross. Yeah. You I have, think I'm awful popular. You have two of those biscuits, and it's time to hit a rim cycle sleep, baby. Oh, those biscuits are nothing to write home about. Anymore. I love those biscuits. Really? I like the biscuits a lot. They're, like, kind of hard. They never bring any well, butter then you're with get, them. you're getting the shitty biscuit. Oh, it's always delivery. Mine was good. It's good biscuit. KFC's biscuits are better. I don't fuck with KFC at all. No, you know what? You know what has messed up my stomach? Um, and this is our gastrointestinal segment. That, uh, <laughs> we'll have um, here's our stinger. <laughs> okay. Um, eggs, dude. No, fuck that. Uh, no, because no. I, I have I have essentially eradicated eggs from my diet, which is wild because I would used to have eggs every day. I'm telling you, poops have been cleaner. Dude, eggs are the fucking... <laughs> Super growth food. Mm, eggs. Uh, Go fucking eggs curl some, some damage, weights. dude. Now, nah, fuck it. Get 11 eggs every day like I used to. Do a three with only the whites. And then go pump some fucking iron, dude. You got the bandana on. <laughs> Stinky town. You need to up that testosterone level. Then your poops will be manly. I do need some tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Iced um, tea. Well, what were we going to transition into? Oh, our, our new segment. Yeah, our new segment. Uh, the rehearsal roundup, the rehearsal dinner. I got no stinger for it. I next week, and uh, I can't believe we're actually digging into a show like this. But if we were going to do a show, I think this one warrants it. It's constantly evolving in weird ways. Hundred percent. Now, um, last night, um, uh, I came home. I was feeling lethargic because I ate fucking Popeyes, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Well, cheer me up. It's the rehearsal. I look forward to this show. And when watching it, I thought, oh, I bet Randy and Clark were not in on this one. On oh, episode cor- four. Yeah. Wrong. Episode four called The Fielder Method. Y- uh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Randy, I'll let you kick off. What do you think of episode four? I think that it might be my favorite episode so far. I think the Whoa. show gets better with each episode. And they actually address the issue that I had kind of with the first episode. Is that like they kind of talk about it a little bit? They think that like he didn't really go far enough with it, and there wasn't like a ton of payoff for me. But I don't know. I'm liking how weird and like bizarre it's getting, and yeah, I don't know. I'm a fan. It's growing, and I and it's making me think. And I'm trying to think <laughs> <Uh-oh>. like <laughs> I'm trying to think like 
Nathan Felder. And I'm trying to figure out how much of this plan happened organically or did he plan every goddamn move? And he's just kind of uh, presenting it in an aw shucks kind of manner. Uh, And I think that he's just very good at that. Because episode four, we hit a new level Mm -hmm. with the show. And I feel like we're hitting a new level every single week. And that is, I mean, that's the the goal, right? But that's, um, it's a pretty lofty goal. Uh, especially to do something like with the, but man, I'd love to know the budget because he's just burning money on <laughs> stuff that you don't see people burn money on. And the amount of extras that he's had on this show is insane. And what happened, what he did this week, I think is far more impressive to me than recreating a bar beam by beam and, and, you know, stitch by stitch, which I mean is impressive, but he basically kind of did that with people this week and it was just kind of insane and made them find jobs and they were shadowing people. And then he was, it was just very, very intricate. And, and then he goes back to the farmhouse and the chi- he had missed so much time, the child grew to 16 years old, and yeah. then that became its own storyline. Hold on, hold on. Before we get there, I think this show is incredibly hard to follow. And when you said it made me think, I think uh, that's the most succinct way you can put it. This, you have to pay attention here. Yes! And if we're going to talk about it, I just, I think we need to give, like, context. Again, you should be watching this show. It's, it's fantastic. And if you like the craft of uh, film, and especially TV, we're really get digging in here. So, you know, one, it laid the groundwork for the, the amount of effort this production will put into creating a situation. And I think that was the point of the bar, right? Every detail, they're going to pay attention. Two, we have the, uh, the episode called Scion, where we're introduced to the uh, colorful characters we're going to get, and we get the whole, I want to be a mom on a farm with a child and we're going to do this as like a whole life kind of thing. And this kind of shows the length and the amount of time they're willing to commit to something. Then we get into episode three with gold digger. We get more characters, but now we're also layered. Like there's multiple storylines going on at one time. So now in episode four, the fielder method, we're taking another look at the level of production by examining the extras. And you know, there was a there's almost like a throwaway visual gag that Clark went crazy for in episode three. And it's while they're what, uh, raising cane. Is that a raise um, raising canes? Raising, chicken? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I've never eaten there. Uh, do they also make you lethargic and have uh, shitty biscuits or <laughs> they don't have biscuits? They, they have, don't have biscuits. They have toast. What the fuck? Yeah, they have a Texas toast situation. Is that like an authentic Southern thing, or that's a very common thing with uh, chicken chicken tender restaurants? So that's also a very oh. common thing. We have we have a lot of different chicken tender restaurants, and Raising Cane's is one of the biggest, along with Zaxby's. Oh, see, I'm fucking up. I love a chicken tender. Get the bone out of my chicken. And um, yeah, because you're a child. I, hey, it's true. <laughs> when you when you're raised on a frozen food diet, you know you stick to what you love. Um, Fish sticks was that a big staple? Yeah. In the Fisher household? Yeah, for sure. Hey, what? You judging me? Nope. I, I had fish sticks. We, we had fish sticks. I didn't like fish sticks, but we had fish sticks. Um, 
So in this one, there's there was a joke that was Nathan just watching an extra like fuck around on the table. And he what does he say? Like, oh, what's going on? It's just like one line. And you started dying. It was in episode three. Do you remember? Because in this one, we revisit it. In four, he gets behind the counter and there's a girl. She looks she's an actor. Yeah. And she's she's typing. And he gets behind there and she's just writing nonsense in a line and it just keeps going. <laughs> and it's like, and you know, this weird character that Nathan is creating almost has a problem with it. Like he's like, Hey, if we're being real, this should be real. Like, why are the extras faking it? Yeah. Which is uh, now we're into the mad scientist part of this because what the fuck are you doing, dude? And uh, he ends up flying back to LA and staying in his uh, real house. His little apartment. How did you feel when he was trying to call his uh, foe, his platonic wife, and she wouldn't answer? I was not surprised at all. Yeah, what I mean, me neither. Do you think that's real? 100%. That, okay. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> well, how fucked up is that? I'm thinking, like, the show has, she has to be involved with the climax of the show. Oh, yeah. There's there's no other doubt here. And the fact that see that's that's why I'm just trying to that's why this show is just so interesting to me because um I just think that he was there's there's certain gifts that he received and I think she being one of those. Oh yeah. And the fact that that didn't happen until episode 2 is very interesting because there there wasn't a whole lot to go with with Korskeet's issue. He mm -hmm. had his education situation, <laughs> and then we moved about the cabin. Then we've got this, you know, woman who thinks that Google is Satanist and that Halloween is the, you know, the celebration of Satan and everything that is evil. And you know, she wants to, you know, have a farm and do no farming. Um, there's there's something interesting there though because you got to remember with Sasha Baron Cohen, the magic to his work was always the stuff we didn't see. Like, I, I've talked about this on here before, but Ollie G would sit with his guests for an extended period of time just performing stupid. Like, he would try and spell their name incorrectly for 20 minutes. Yeah. And what he was doing is just giving the, the subject who might be privy to, like, some prank shit like this, like, a, a, a reasonable belief that this is a real person. Yeah. So I think they vetted these people, like, thoroughly before. Yes, I would agree. And also, we hit a new depth with her this week because oh, yeah. she, she goes into. I predicted it too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. And I'm glad that it happened in this episode. Um, and, and it was beautiful how we were able to tie that in narratively, which he did uh, very much like with the whole gold, gold digger scenario last week. I mean, he kind of turned the tide with what you know she revealed this week. Um, using their now 16-year-old son. And then also the end of that episode also said a lot too. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah I, again, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to use these episodes as like spoiler territory. Because, Why not? Well, because I, I, I'd like people to explore this, but it's also interesting of like how we're talking about it. Because, yeah. I think it's, it's a hard threshold to get past to get into this show. And I think we provide more of a service if we like kind of break it down beat by beat. So I honestly, I would like to go through. The slide was great. So hold on, before we get there, I think the, the craft of this show right now is that he gets lost in his work dealing with the extras, like these minute details. 
he ends up living in one of the extras homes. Now, was that stage that dude's room? I was like, wait, does he have like a secret kid on the weekend or something? And yeah, it's like, that was. And then he's now we get a VO and he's like, oh, I slept in his bed. And it's like, that's his room because he looks like kind of a cool guy actor. He's very mm-hmm. serious. He tends to not be taking the show 100 percent. And then his room, he's got like fucking Pokemon on his bed and shit. And yeah. it's a very tiny it bed. It looks like a 14-year-old Korean girl's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she clearly eats it. AK, it looked like Bobby Lee's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> now, that whole thing was fun, but I felt like it was such a tangent compared to the regular show topic that I was like, I was into it, but I wasn't immersed. Like, we have a... He's acting as an extra in his own class. He's giving them <laughs> assignments. And then he... He hires a dude to play Nathan. How did you feel about that guy? Man, I I loved him because he was so terrible. Well, you know what it is? It's an actor portraying Nathan without any charm. Yes. Because Nathan... It made me appreciate the charm that Nathan Felder right? has. Because yeah. there's something about like real charisma where you could just watch a person. And I've learned a lot of this through comedy. Like Some people can deliver... Like uh, your favorite, uh, uh, Montgomery. Sure. This motherfucker, I watched an old episode of Kill Tony where um, uh, William Montgomery came up and was just being fucking goofy. Or like even the one where he's talking about peeing on mermaid eggs. Yes. And <laughs> Tony had made a remark that well-written comedians hate comedians like that that are silly. Well, yeah. Because they can write something that's technically funny, but they may not have the tools to deliver it. Yeah. And people, yeah, people didn't like me. <laughs> what? Where do <laughs> yeah. you think you fit in? Um, because I, I, you know, I rest on my laurels of my charm. You do. So, but you you're know, also a good writer. That's the other thing, and I, I think I struggle with that myself. <laughs> so that, that yo, know, I think that you know, people didn't like me. I didn't like me either. Yeah. So I think that was a big part of it as well, because I, I was struggling between those two things. And you know, I think uh, we really get a good context for. Um, Nathan Fielder, who, I mean, this episode is called The Fielder Method. And one thing I know about Nathan, having never met him, is he is a shy, introverted person. And he really puts himself out there in the show. Re- that's, man, this, uh, by the way, this is the highest rated episode on IMDb. Really? Mm-hmm. I am shocked. The first episode uh, got a 9.3. The lowest rated is episode two at 8.5. <laughs> And honestly, that's probably people just reacting to, to Scion. To, yeah, to Robin. Oh, um, Gold Digger, 8.9. This was a 9.6. And, you know, uh, we've dealt in this territory before with, like, Dashcam, where, like, a character can, like, change the whole perspective of the film, whether or not people like the actual end product. Um, but while we talk about Robin Stone, I have to mention, um, when I, on, on my Instagram, if you follow me on Lord Battle, I, I do a very lazy kind of, here are the films I talk about every week. So when I put in the rehearsal, I tagged Robin Stone. Uh, I think you might know where I'm going. Oh, my God. He immediately DM'd me. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, baby. He immediately DM'd me and my heart dropped. I was like, whoa. Cause <laughs> no, it's a regular practice. You tag celebrities and you hope like maybe. Rock and Robin. Now, again, I did refer to him as a celebrity because uh, he, again, if we're talking um, as TV shows, as solar systems he clearly had enough gravity to be on his own orbit there's a lot to unpack with what i 
So what did Robin say? He said, he's like, hey, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I responded, oh, we do like a hacky film podcast. And uh, we've been doing a retrospect on the rehearsal. And you came up. And I was like, hey, dude, I hope the internet hasn't been too mean to you. Uh, he never got back. Damn. Hell yeah. yeah. But he was immediate. So, so next week, probably not going to have Robin Stone. I mean, we could try. The dude doesn't seem um, camera shy. You know what I mean? Like, I think he would come Randy, on. Randy, what do you think? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I won't talk to the guest anyway, so. <laughs> Randy did not look psyched when you just asked him. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's my little tangent on Robin Stone. Uh who also people have been digging up videos that he posts. I think I mentioned that last week of him talking about wrecking his scions and shit. He's a real person. Be nice to him, but definitely go check out the spectacle. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Anyway, uh, there's a, so Nathan is gone again. Now the child in this show ages years at a time every week. So he's gone. He, he mentions like he got way too immersed in this. He ended up staying in the dude's apartment doing multiple classes of people even recreating it. He even went back and did a class twice with a different perspective from yes. the guy he's portraying. And um, he was learning a lot. So he got wrapped up and he's like, oh, I ended up being gone longer than I meant to. So when he returned home, uh, his, how old, like four, two year old? I don't know. Um, I think he was seven. When he left, because he said he had been gone for nine years and That's the kid right. is now 16. And he comes back and there's a uh, teenager in his house. There is a uh, working man's version of Timothy Chalamet. That's his <laughs> son. <laughs> now, the show is so beautiful because we have a character perspective. Like we know, we know that Nathan knows he's an actor. That kid was a good actor. He was great. Way. And when Nathan comes in, you know, he's embodying a dude who this is his child but also that they're two actors who probably have talked outside and uh, we're meeting. And the kid did what I thought seemed normal. Like, Oh, Hey, welcome home, dad. And gave him a hug. And was like, they were nice. And it didn't sit well with Nathan. And he was like, well, I've been gone for fucking nine years, man. Like, I don't, maybe you should try it again. He should be angry. Now. It's, yeah. See now, but the way he does that, he had to break character and he had to tell the guy, Hey, I know that we said that when you're here, you never break character. But I'm asking you to break character dude, right now. Beautiful scene. And dude. then they really, he was like, if you had to do this over again, you know, I was gone for nine years. What would you do in this scenario? Oh, yeah. And then it was great. And then they started going down the rabbit hole of, you know, drugs and drinking and partying. And that is when we had already learned that um, Angela, is that her name? I don't know. What's her name? I, I think it's Angela. Yeah. He's not credited yeah. anywhere. That scene is probably my favorite because it's very rare that you, every now and then you see him sitting at a dinner table and eating, but she's cooking pasta for Nathan. And she starts talking about how she, uh, she was like, Hey, did, have you ever hated one of your parents? And he was like, uh, no. Why? And she's like, well, I hated my dad. Yeah. She's like, I hated him. And I started doing a bunch of things to make him mad, like drinking. He's like drinking what? She's like, I don't vodka. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Oh, She's like, I started doing drugs too. He's like, like what? And she's like, oh, you know, weed, cocaine. And she just keeps like, you did cocaine? Acid. You did cocaine? Yeah, yeah exactly. acid. And uh, he's like, acid. And then, you know, while she's doing this, she's cooking and she puts like a noodle, like a string noodle on a plate. And she's talking about this very serious thing while fucking with an individual noodle. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just checking to see if it's hard or not. Dumps it back yeah, in the water. Dude, those, that's the kind of thing you can't write. 
And that's why I love reality TV. But I called it. I knew. I was like, this bitch did not have a good life growing up. Much like my buddy, my now best friend, Robin Stone. I'm like, I think these people found religion as a correction. Yes, you have heard of the term born-again Christian, yes. Now, is that like a particular <laughs> cult you join, or does that just mean you found no. God later on in life? Well, I do, I do think that people you know, misuse and they misinterpret the term uh, born-again Christian, but uh, this would fall in that category. And I'm guessing that means like you're overcorrecting, right? Like you're becoming like almost like tyrannical in your Old Testament application. Yeah, you, you saw the light. My, my And in Robin Stone's <laughs> recollection, he actually saw the light. He saw the light, and it happened to be at uh, something that had to do with 88. Yeah, at 110 miles an hour yeah. in a Scion TC. 111 miles an hour. Thank you Triple so much. number. But uh, yeah, my, my experience with born-again Christians, again, is uh, pro wrestling. As I remember, Sting became a born-again Christian, yes, and everybody fucking hated him. I don't know. I loved him even more. Well, he was calling people's wives and being like, hey, they're, he's cheating on you. So, oh, really? Yeah. Sting was, became a rat? And I believe this was TNA time. Now, now I know a lot of people Oh, are, no. Yeah. Sting. And again, uh, pro wrestling, you know, I never actually thought about this, but a lot of the time they blend the dark realities in your life into their show. So like Sting becoming an outcast kind of fed into him being the crow where he was like a lone wolf yeah. because nobody wanted to fuck with him. And they do this a lot, especially like Kurt Angle and his breakup or like Macho Man Elizabeth. They really exploit reality into their sh- That's weird. I've never made that connection before. Uh, it does kind of fall in the in-world camera thing. But anyway, I know um, you wanted to talk more about the uh, troubled upbringing of a teenager that Nathan was now experiencing. Um, I, I'd like to pivot quickly to Oksana, who revealed to me last night. That uh, you had an emotional moment during the episode. <laughs> oh, what? So, now, here's the thing. The the Eastern European guard was let down last night. I, I'm a crybaby. I don't know. It's I mean, it hasn't happened during this show that much. Or snuff films that you edit. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. The end made me tear up. But I don't know. I'm not 100% sure why. Maybe just because like... Uh, he has the unfair advantage of like, well, he's been out of his fake son's life for nine years. He has the advantage of like, I'm going to rewind because like I missed all of this and like no one else has that. Yeah, no, for sure. And the path that it went down was so like brutally real. And I love. Yes. And it was very. It hit a, you know, a sweet and melodramatic climax at the end of how they did that where they had the 16 year old there was they were on a playground the 16 year old entered a slide oh wait we go back more because it hinges on him ODing in his room oh my yeah. god of course yeah yes <laughs> yes of course oh my yeah thank you so so the 16 year old ODs and Angela has no idea no, she's jamming to her iPod shuffle. And something. she's like, what's going on? And he's got like white foam coming out of his mouth. And Nathan's acting in that is like, it startled me because like, we haven't seen him hit like a different octave before. Yeah. And he's screaming. 
and what are we doing? It was just, it was, it's beautiful. And like, it, yeah, it perks up your attention. It was like, okay, we've hit a yeah. new level. And then the ambulance comes yep. and it's the actor from LA <laughs> and it's just great. And then the, the kids on the gurney and then Nathan's like, everything's okay. And then he just gets up and sprints out and runs into the woods. And then later we, we cut to the playground scene and we're, you know, it's, it's getting towards the end and the 16 year old enters a slide he goes fully into the slide, but coming out of the slide, and it's a tubed slide, I should say, um, where you cannot, you know, it's it's in it's enclosed. And coming out of the slide is a six-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> and then Nathan yeah. takes the six-year-old boy's hand, and they walk off. And, the, you know, the very beautiful VO. It's very beautiful moment, very sweet, very tender. Then yeah. what I love about this is that then he cuts that tenderness with jokes. You remember that, Russ, of how he ends it? How how did he end it? The sixteen year old then climbs back out of the oh, slide yeah, yeah. and oh, then just yeah, stares yeah. around for a few seconds and says, All right, are we done? No, you get that dose of reality again. Yeah. Because there's a beautifully crafted film moment. Cause dude, he's out there all night and I think he's asking real people on the street, like Adam, Adam, like he's yelling at people at bus stops. And then it's early morning, Adam's up there in a play structure, drinking with some kids, and they lock eyes. Now, Randy, I don't know, I don't know if you noticed, but it made me think of that early cinema. They always talk about the German school of editing. Sure. Do you know? Yeah, and um, it was Eisenstein, I believe, where they had the yeah. uh, famous picture. Dude, they did that to oh, a. Oh, you're talking about you talk about the Kuleshov effect. Yeah, right. If that's where the, the business suit guy looking into blank, like they would intercut it with like a funeral or like a bakery. Yeah, yeah, that's the Kuleshov effect. Dude, I knew you would know that. And they did it. And I was like, whoa, I haven't like, that's an old school film craft. We're like, yeah. he's standing there. It's the Fielder effect now. Dude. It's the Fielder method. Where, <laughs> dude, because, you know, there's no dialogue between the two. But the kid, before he gets in the slide, you almost think there's a breakthrough. And it's like, oh, he's going to come home. And then he slides down. It's like he does come home, but they cheated. This was the best episode. You know, I, I wasn't in love with the extra stuff that he did with all the classrooms watch it again yeah i could see that but um the ending was so emotional because because i'm telling you man it's so layered and there's so much going on it's it can be hard to grasp all of this dude for real and it's it's jam-packed what we got a 40 minute episode or these 30 30 30 there's so much to the, unpack in there. the second episode was i think was 45 minutes Damn. So, okay. Fielder method, I guess. Yeah. It's great. Dude. Also, I, Russ, uh, we're going to be an hour and a half. No, I'll, I'll yeah. keep it short. Yeah, 100% we're going to be an hour <laughs> and a half. Well, you know, I didn't even catch that that dude was one of the actors from LA in the ambulance. You didn't? No, I didn't. Oh, I no, didn't either. Come on, guys. Oksana? Mm-mm. Oh, <laughs> my God. No, it was the guy. See, good job, dude. It was the guy. We he need, was great. We need to pay a little more attention. Dude, no, See go back and there. listen because his dialogue was crazy. It was great. Dude, I want to go back just to see him screaming at the... <laughs> oh, yeah. It was so good. But it worked. <laughs> it was Dude, I love this show now. Okay. <laughs> this is... I love this show. This was this was the best episode. All right. Rehearsal roundup. And- uh, what's next week's? Next week... So next week we'll talk about... Um, 
Apocalypto. After a visit from his parents, Nathan struggles to stick up for his values. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Mamma mia. Do you think his wife's going to get into it with his parents? I oh, I hope so. Uh, right? God, what, what are his parents like? <laughs> I have no idea. I can't even fathom. Probably, I would imagine, introverted dorks. Yeah. Very um, successful in their field. But not very outgoing. What if they're like, you know, Roseanne and John Goodman? What if it's not his real parents? <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. What? If oh, this- there we go. He's gonna rehearse. He's gonna have a fake wife in there and <laughs> rehearse the situation. <laughs> Maybe. All right. That's why he's the master. All right, Randy Michael. Yes, sir. I did a slight burp there. I apologize. I liked it. I heard it. <laughs> What'd you, what'd you, what'd you do? What'd you get up to this week, son? You went to Tim Heidecker. Uh, yeah, I went to Tim Heidecker, the two Tims tour on uh, Monday night. He did his, uh, his character from the most recent, uh, YouTube special and he, it was mostly all new jokes. Good deal. Very funny. He did do a lot of the, uh, the dropping the mic, but not as extended, um, as he, he does the in the stand. special. <laughs> he does a little bit of, yeah, mic stand play and. Some other uh, physical comedy bits, but uh, it was really good. And then, uh, yeah, he played music for maybe like an hour 20. Oh, wow. Something like that. So, um, yeah, and the band was great. Um, yeah, it was a very, very fun show. It was just uh, just him. So I think I was out of there by like 10, 15 on a Monday. So. Heck yeah. No opener. No opener for High Decky. No opener. No, it was rad. Did uh he did he bring back any bits for the stand up or um maybe like two or three but not the opera? no I I would say that the stuff that he brought back is mostly just like the physical comedy stuff okay. like the mic dropping the not knowing how to work a mic stand no more bullshit oh, no more bullshit for sure. Yeah, he had nope. shirts that said no more bullshit. Um, <laughs> of course he did. And the beginning, he does the, uh, he walks out and they're playing like a song. He's like, this isn't what I asked for. He's like, turn that oh. shit off. Then he walks to the guy at the front of the house and he repeats the, that. Those are the hits. Did it was great. No, did you get a no more bullshit t-shirt? No, I didn't. It's a shame. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a, not a big fan of wearing expletives on my clothing. I'm with you. I don't like that. Russell, I know you like you wear naked women and poon on your shirt. So there was a shirt I bought that had a orc sitting on a throne with like five women around him, and on the back in giant bold print it said "Eat more pussy." <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you right now, I couldn't wear it. I, I couldn't wear it. Yeah, man, no. I can't do it. <laughs> you remember that shirt, Oksana? Mm-hmm. I remember being bummed when I read the. I was like, "Oh, dude, it was already dorky." Like now, it feels like they're not. Yeah. laughing at themselves. I just I just feel like you're looking for tr- you just want to be a dick when you do that. Stuff. Oh yeah. It's just I don't like Not it. a fan. Yeah. All right, Randy. Lead us lead us the way. So I teased a, a film earlier during our train talk. I do have two train films uh, this week. But before that, I'm going to talk about a movie that came out this year. Uh it's probably still in theaters some places. Uh, I missed it out here when it was at the Plaza Theater. Um, It's called Official Competition. It is a Spanish film 
featuring uh, Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, and Oscar Martinez. Uh, it's kind of like a meta satire about pretentious film directors and um, artists slash actors and uh, sort of like, uh, it's, it's pretty goofy. Um, so basically at the beginning of the movie, you're in this like high rise building uh, in Spain somewhere. And there's like this billionaire who, I don't know, he's very successful and he's looking for something to something else to do after his ventures of business land. And he, uh, he's like, I should like build a bridge or something and, and name it after me. Or he's like, maybe I should like finance a film or make a film. They're like, you want to direct a film? You don't even know anything about like film. And he's like, no, maybe I'll just finance it. So He's like, but if I do, it's got to be the best movie ever. It's got to be great. So essentially, he oh, hires Donald Penelope. Trump? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so essentially, he uh, goes and hires uh, Penelope Cruz's character, uh, who goes by Lola Cuevas. And she is apparently like this very famous Spanish filmmaker who isn't very prolific, but like is very well respected in like the film community. And then the two actors that they hire uh, for this book that they are going to adapt um, are played by Antonio Banderas and Oscar Martinez, uh, as mentioned earlier. And they're both very uh, pretentious and egotistical in their own ways. Uh, So Antonio Banderas is, he's almost playing like himself. Uh, So he's a Spanish actor, but like he has all these awards and is in a bunch of like English movies too. And the other character um, is like a very well-renowned like theater actor and he's like a teacher. Uh, So they kind of like butt heads and essentially throughout the movie, they're rehearsing uh, before they film the movie. And um, Lola Cuevas, the director of the movie, puts them in all these very awkward situations to kind of like, kind of to fuck with them and kind of like maybe like break them down a little bit um, throughout the movie. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very funny. It's pretty well written. Um, It's kind of like doing an art house satire, but also like being an art house movie. Um, Antonio Banderas is great. Um, I don't, you know, he's probably great in everything. I haven't seen a ton of stuff that he's done. And um, Penelope Cruz is great. The other actor who I didn't really know from much, um, Oscar Martinez, he's also very good. Um, yeah, it's kind of like there is definitely a plot, but it's kind of um, like vignettes almost. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I I wanted to see it in theaters, as mentioned, but um, it's on VOD now, so it was a uh, it was solid. Randy's favorite Antonio Banderas film is Puss in Boots. Roxana, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I know you hate the word puss. So what do you think about puss in reference as a <laughs> kitty cat? I, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> You'd never call Dottie puss? No. All right. Thanks. For <laughs> if you're, if you're looking for a comparison, I would say this kind of reminded me of, uh, the square, but like less darker and more kind of comedic kind of silly. Okay. I like, is it also less runtime? Cause the square got a little lengthy. I think so. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I remember the square feeling kind of long. Um, this goes by pretty smooth and it has an ending that I didn't necessarily see coming, which uh, 
It was a good surprise. I like the square. It's a little disjointed, but the square. Yeah, is I want to revisit it. Uh, this one is an hour fifty-five. Ooh. Fifty-five. So it's a half hour shorter. There you go. Also, yeah. Penelope Cruz looks fantastic. And, what is she yeah. never not? I know. I. She's a vision. Well, she's coming up on fifty, so we'll see if she can round the corner. <sighs> she's got this like very huge head of like very curly hair. Um, I don't know. She looks great in it though, for sure. I don't know how old Penelope Cruz is these days, but uh, still looking quite good. I think she's like forty-eight. Penelope. What movie is that from? I have no fucking idea. Penelope. Penelope? Penelope. Nope. Club Dread. Wait, what? Why would I? Okay. I do like Club Dread. Club Dread. Dude, I've seen Club Dread like 10 times. Let's watch it again. Dude, I used to watch Club Dread a lot. And also, I I texted Randy this week. He knows. Um, I rewatched Tower Heist for like the hundredth time this week. (laughs) Every time I rewatch Tower Heist, I have to mention it on the show. I will not be it's talking about Power Heist. Just if you haven't seen it, it's the best heist movie ever okay. made. <laughs> Where do they take it? Well, if you must know, they filmed it. They, Randy, they filmed it at the Trump Tower, correct? Oh, yeah, I think so. And I forgot they, about that. They hang uh, Steve McQueen's 1967 Ferrari, which has been reconstructed and is made out of gold. <laughs> and they take a window washer and they take it out of like the hundredth story of the building and then move it down six and then swing it back into the building with Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy in the car. All right. (laughs) It's pretty good. Five stars. Randy, what else? Yeah. The, the first train movie I'll talk about this week. Uh, it'll be, it'll be pretty quick. I, uh, this was on Criterion Channel, which I was kind of surprised by. Is it really? It is, yeah. Um, it's We're talking about Silver Streak, directed by Arthur Hiller, a 1976 film, uh, sort of like a buddy comedy, Alfred Hitchcocky thriller that takes place on a train. Uh, so essentially, Gene Wilder's character um, is on a train to Chicago from L.A., and uh, he meets his, uh, not his roommate, but the the person next door, there's like a door in between the, the cabins and he meets this, uh, attractive female and they, um, are about to hook up one night and he sees a man who was shot in the head fall off the train. And, uh, <laughs> he puts together that that is her boss, uh, that was on the train. So she is off to Chicago to, uh, I don't know, do this thing. I don't remember exactly. The plot is kind of convoluted and like doesn't really 100% matter. It's just a kind of like a, a goofy like riff on a Hitchcock movie. Um, Richard Pryor is also in it. Um, I it, it is very goofy and it's definitely of its time uh, of a 76 movie. Like it's very like horny and there may or may not be a uh, blackface scene in this movie. Um, but other than that, I mean... It is what it is. Like I, <laughs> I, I watched it last night. Like as I was getting kind of kind of sleepy, like kind of winding down, and it was a perfect just end of the night, low, uh, you know, just kind of light entertainment, as uh, Truffaut would put it. Now again, yeah, um, Silver Streak is one. My my mom um, got this movie for us when we were kids because she remembered it from her youth, and. Um, 
it, but it has been 20 some odd years since I've seen this movie. But, uh, Randy, well, I mean, you know, for, I think for a lot of the collaborations between, um, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor is, yeah. you know, their chemistry holds the movie together. So is that the case here? Yes, but he shows up, Richard Pryor shows up much later in the movie than I expected because he's like mm. on the poster for the movie and yeah, like build pretty high on it. Like when you go to IMDb, but yeah, he shows up kind of late, which was kind of surprised by, but yeah, was, he's great when he shows up. First, I'm sorry. Well, was this their first collaboration? Uh, I don't know. I didn't look that far into it. It may have been because I believe that it predates, um, the film I talked about uh, by four years, Stir Crazy. Randy, you uh, even mentioned that Jaws was in the movie. We talked about Cruel Jaws earlier. and Yeah, uh, Richard course, Keel, is that his name? Yep. And oh, he, Richard Keel's in this? Yeah. yeah. And you got a Fred Willard in here, too. Yeah. What is Fred Willard? He's in it, too. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember what Fred Willard was in it. Wow. He must have been in the background or something. Correct. I mean, I uh, think so, I only know him as an older man, so I'm assuming he was kind of younger in this. So I probably oh. didn't recognize it. So Silver Street was the first time that they were on screen together. Um, technically, I guess you maybe could make the argument of Blazing Saddles because uh, Richard Pryor was supposed to play the Cleavon little part in Blazing Saddles. Uh, but the um, insurance of the production... Uh, did not want to cover for Richard Pryor. They, <laughs> and so he was just one of the writers. You also got a Scatman Carruthers in this movie. Yeah, Scatman too. Oh, that was a big cast. I big know. cast. <laughs> it's good. Check it out if you got a Criterion channel. It's, it's fun. But yeah, like I said, just, you know, it's a 70s movie, so. Now, Randy, there might be some big, jokes in it. Here's, <laughs> here's the big question, though. Is this train movie better than the new train movie? Uh, I will say that, um, you know, some actual photography of trains and um, not CGI will go a long way. I did enjoy this more than I enjoyed Bullet Train. Damn, you like Silver Street more <laughs> than Bullet Train. Ooh, what about Silver Bullet Train? Oh, yeah, that that yeah, there you go. See, I won't I won't spend too much time on Bullet Train. I assume Clark might see it eventually. Eventually. He's not. He it's, didn't watch uh, Top Gun. He's not watching Bullet Train. I still didn't watch Top Gun. Top Gun is great. <laughs> Directed by David Leach, who uh, I should have done some more research before I actually saw Bullet Train because uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of uh, one David Leach. He did do Nobody, which I enjoyed, but um, Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and Atomic Blonde. Uh, he I did think Atomic nobody? Blonde was okay. What was that? He did Nobody? Oh, no, he was a producer on Nobody. Sorry. Oh, okay. All right. Well, he almost got a free pass for life. Yeah. I don't know. It's got a good cast. Brad Pitt is good in it. Um, I really like Brian Tyree Henry. His character is pretty fun. He plays Brit. He does, yeah. Um. I don't know. There's uh, there's some people in the movie that I kind of wished were in the movie more that are like heavily featured in the trailers and stuff. <clears throat> How much Michael like Shannon said, do we get? 
he also shows up pretty late, kind of like Richard Pryor does in uh, Silver <laughs> Streak. By design. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm coming to the point in life where CG just makes me sleepy. I don't know if anyone <laughs> else gets that. But like, yeah, like I said, some real photography of trains uh, in Silver Streak went a long way for holding my attention and not making me sleepy. Yeah, I don't know. And I saw it in a Dolby as well. So it was also extremely loud. And I don't know, sometimes if I'm not into something and it's like extremely loud like that and there's so much CG, it's just, uh, I don't know, it kind of makes me dislike it even more. Yeah, because it's amplified annoyance. Yeah, true. Damn. Put Um, that in the review. (laughs) I don't know. It's fine. There's like some fun stuff in it, but... There is a lot of cool guy violence, I would say, for sure. There's I, always I'm like Fuck yeah. there's always like a rockin' song, like behind like people getting shot or whatever. So of course you gotta baby driver it. Oh, I God. guess, yeah. Hey, so um I know you mentioned you didn't do a lot of research on David Leach, but why is he an uncredited director for the original John Wick? Uh so David Leach, I believe, was Keanu's stunt double. And I believe people say that he shadow directed John Wick and not the guy that directed it or they like helped or like was co-directed. Oh, weird. It sounds like there's a good story there. Yeah. I had heard that before, but I, you know, totally put it out of my head until I read up on it this morning. Weird. Damn. So bullet trains a bust, huh? Yeah, it's okay. I was, I was excited for it. I think so it's based off of a Japanese book. I don't think it's like a manga. I think it's a book. Um, I think there's good material here. I just don't know if he was the person to to do it. It is zany in parts, but, you know, I think if some an Asian director directed this, they are very good with the going from, like, extreme violence that's almost, like, sickening to, like, something zany to, like, something emotional, like those jumps in tone are like very hard to make. And I feel like, although it can be jarring, like Asian cinema does it really well. Yeah. Not saying that, you know, a white guy shouldn't direct it. Like <laughs> you direct whatever you want, you know, but I don't, uh, you, I don't know. I think the material could have been uh, better served by somebody else. Well, it looked like, so, <laughs> I mean, I was out on this movie from the beginning. It looked like a very stylized, um, I didn't fu- expect it to be, great i expected it to be kind of dumb but i expected it to be funner for me ah, damn randy just pulled out the word funner so you know more randy fun. randy came in with an open mind and was disappointed so i will not be watching this movie yeah <laughs> I, know, I was excited but then when randy you know because randy was also excited yeah and yeah. uh i love a train i know so does david lynch and he just told me in the hallway that he hated this movie so but brad pitt's <laughs> good right He's pretty good. He's doing kind of like a Zen stonery kind of thing. All right. So but he Brad- also like kicks ass too. I don't know. He's good. All right. As a Anything whole, else? though, yeah. Not a huge fan. I know. I saw. I saw that two and a half star rating in uh, Mamma Mia. Yeah. AMC is uh, Stubbs A list though, so I'll get my money's worth if I see one more movie this month. Yeah, dude, it's the way to go. 
it's the way to go. I was a fan of that. I, I thought about re-upping, but I just, I just don't make it out to the AMC as much. It's but, my closest um, theater now. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Do you have any Cinemarks out there? I don't know. I don't think so. We have Landmark. I don't think we have Cinemark. See, it's interesting. Yeah. There are no AMCs in the state of Mississippi. Hmm. We got Cinemarks. Anyway, who cares? All right. Moving forward. Very briefly, talk about uh, a film that I saw that Randy saw last week. So, uh, do you have the stinger? A stinger? Retread. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You'd think we'd... uh... Yeah, I'm good. Give me a cue. This is Randy Retread. <laughs> it was worth it. Every time. <laughs> uh, well, here's the unfortunate thing about this Randy Retread. Again, for the second week in a row, we will talk about this film. And for the second week in a row, we will say nothing about this film. <laughs> Because these two jerk-offs across the table still haven't seen it. And they're like, don't spoil your movie for us. Yeah, have you no like, faith that you're going to be able to do Do that. you like my impression? Yeah, it was accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Randy, I should have... Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm bringing this up because I did see it. And I did enjoy this film. Um, I will, I will not spoil it. Because, and also, guys, don't do any research on this. And what I mean by research, don't look at any user reviews. Now, that's the operative word here, is because the research that I've uh, done on this, there is a tectonic shift and a a polarizing difference between critical reviews and user reviews of this film critic reviews are pretty good and rotten tomatoes i think it's around 80 percent and which is you know pretty decent this is a challenging film in some regards because we're just we're just playing with a a non-traditional narrative here and it gets pretty fantastical to a certain degree and there are some general audiences that do not know what to do with this movie. <laughs> and some of the IMDb reviews are absolutely fantastic um, because they just, they don't get it. And that right there helps me get it. Um, yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I, I this is, this is a film definitely worth watching and I'm glad films like this are getting made. And, um, you know, and it, it just kind of brings up the question of like, you know, what is independent film anymore? And I know that that is an enormous question and there's a, you know, there's a lot to break down there of what that means. But when we think about independent film, like, you know, really, what is it? Mm-hmm. Because it, it's, it's not what it was. However, films have never been more accessible to making than they are now. So at you on one argument, you know, independent film has never been bigger. And on the other hand, independent film is dead. And so it's, and I think both are correct to a certain degree. And so this, and what ultimately I would think that independent film is, and I think the core of independent film is just, you know, interesting new ideas are, you know, um, are not afraid to explore old ones in a new light. And I think that's kind of what we're doing here 
as this is sort of a fable on some level. And um, I just, uh, yeah, check it out. Resurrection. No breathing. There. Did I do, <laughs> did I do that okay? Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. That was so great. I turned my headphones off so I couldn't hear it. Oh, you heard it. I'm sure you spoiled it. Well, uh, heads up. We're in the same room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now, this is a little non-traditional here. Um, because, yes, we, uh, the, the new film, Prey, came out on a hello this week. And as we all know, Prey is the newest addition in the Predator franchise. Uh, Russell, this makes it, what, Predator 5? Yeah. Predator 5. If you're not counting Alien vs. Predator. Does anyone count Alien vs. Predator yeah, in I the think canon? When you're talking about this kind of like is franchise it, shit. It it's be- in the canon? Uh, that's a complicated question. It is a complicated question. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do here on the Overlook Hour. We'll see you next week. <laughs> I, so, we will talk about Prey, but before we talk about Prey, I had to rewatch Predator. So, we're going to talk about Predator first. Um, because I, I got the, the reactions of Prey have been very good. And, People really, really enjoy the new Predator. Uh, So much so to where a journalist for Rolling Stone, which is at one time a reputable uh, rag. um, I don't know if anything is reputable anymore. I mean, you got to go to Substack to find some real news sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Am I right, Patriots? I don't know what that character was or really what my point was. I'm just looking for jokes anywhere I can find And this guy from Rolling Stone said that this is the masterpiece that this franchise needed. And I just thought that was an insane thing to say. Um, (laughs) So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and watch Predator. And that way, because I needed needed like a... Here's the thing with with Prey. When I watched Prey, I had certain feelings about it. But I didn't have a good primer of Predator fresh on my memory. The the closest thing I had was all the sequels to Predator, like that Adrian Brody thing yeah. and the Thomas Jane, Shane Black thing. Predators and the Predator. Correct. Yeah. And so I wanted I wanted to get, you know, I needed to get the Arnold and the Carl Weathers and the Jesse Ventura back in the DNA. You understand? Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And after re-watching the Predator, um, which I think, you know, I had seen one time when I was a kid and it was on TNT. Predator, not the Predator. Yeah, Predator. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, that's a very clear distinction. Um, I liked Prey a whole lot more. So we'll get into that when we talk about Prey. But let's talk about Predator, which is, Oksana, this is, now I know, so, all right. So is Predator your favorite film franchise or is Predator your favorite film or are both correct? I think the predator itself as a creature in the first one is like my favorite slasher because it kind of is a slasher in the first one. Also, the first movie is my favorite of the whole thing, including AVP. Yeah. <laughs> Tough competition. there. <laughs> Here's what I like about the predator itself is that he's got, he plays by his set of rules. Right. I like that. You know, he he wants you got to be a part of the game. With him, Mm -hmm. Um, which makes me think. 
that he does that help the slasher argument? What do you mean? That he's got a he's got a you know he's got a set of rules, kind of. I think if you're going to get really like nuanced and like detailed about what a slasher is, I don't think it works. But I think if you're talking about a like one by one murdering of a cast of characters, it does. Sure. So in the broad sense, yeah. But um, the distinction there, I think, is just that the predator could kill them much easier, but he chooses a uh, more challenging route. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. No, it's totally... Dude, Predator is a fantastic film. And again, I have to plug uh, my favorite podcast, Scary Thoughts, number 61. They talk about Predator. Um, It's a lot of Predator and a lot of Arnold, but I think they kind of unpack that movie in an interesting way that I haven't heard. And um, yeah, like one one of the things he talks about that I was speaking with you before we started recording was just like Jesse Ventura's gun. Like little things like that. Man almighty. <laughs> that gun. All right. So, the, and that, and that is the beauty of what the predator is. And I think that's a, there are a lot. And again, prey was fresh on my mind when I rewatched the predator. And that's why I think, cause they, they mirror each other a lot. Yeah. Prey does a lot. And I think that, but there are certain things that are in predator that are painfully absent from prey. And for better or worse, I'm not trying to make that argument. I'm just stating that fact. And one of those things is the heavy, heavy, sincere broiness of Predator. Yeah. And, um, you know, it is, it is testosterone to the nth degree. There is muscle and sweat in every goddamn frame of this movie. <laughs> and it's, it's fun. And Jesse Ventura <laughs> is a goddamn treasure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, come on, he's wearing an MTV shirt and he's carrying <laughs> around a Gatlin gun in the jungles of God knows where. And when in you brought you brought up a scene that was uh, that I got hung up on, too. And, I, and it's just a fantastic scene where they're just mowing down the jungle with artillery and using that Gatlin gun. And again. In no universe, if you know anything about a Gatling gun, you know how you know, cumbersome it is. <laughs> and it's just insane that someone, but it's the coolest thing ever to be walking around in the jungle with this thousand pound. It probably weighs a ton. Yeah. All that cast iron is just like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. No, it's superhuman what they do. And I think one of the best parts of that is this is like an elite secret government group that's sent out to clean up uh you know cia fuck-ups right yeah and what happens in that moment is uh he gets rattled he's scared so he just fucking unloads a fucking belt of bullets into the jungle and it highlights one of the best things about predator the fucking cinematography and the jungle it's one of the best things like all of the um so when when predator first hit blu-ray my favorite part of it was the sound design because the jungle is a lie. Oh yeah. And I think that's a big part of Jurassic park too. Like when you got a uh, surround sound going, dude, you feel immersed in the movie and he uh, murders the jungle <laughs> with that Gatling gun <laughs> in a fantastic scene that I don't think anybody's ever recreated. And I know we're not getting into prey yet, but I think one of the big highlights for that movie uh, is the environment. 
the forest is on par and it's beautifully shot. I just wish it wasn't populated with the fucking CG zoo. <laughs> God, has anyone ever made like a paintball Gatling gun? Oh, I'm sure. That'd be awesome. Somebody on YouTube has made that. Randy, YouTube that. Send it to us. That's <laughs> your new YouTube sleuth. Um, yeah, what else to say? Predator's great, man. It's, um, well, I'm curious how it informed your, uh, because I watched Prey with you. Yeah. And uh, we had Terrell over here. And Terrell, dude, watching a movie like Prey with him is perfect because he is on a roller coaster ride. Whether or not you're on it with him, yeah. He's just screaming. He was everything. He's, oh my God. He was like reacting like that. He's the type of dude you'd want a director to be in the room with because they're like, oh, perfect. It's come to life. Yeah. And yet you're like a curmudgeon over there. Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> There's a moment in Prey where a CG ant crawls on an invisible predator <sighs> and then a mouse comes out. Now, also, it's a uh, rat. Terrell is terrified of rodents. He hates them. So he was having a fucking panic attack. But this rat comes out and eats an ant. And I'm like, it must be hard times for the rats if they're eating these little insects. But then a snake comes out and eats the rat. So then, you know, to finish this chain of predators, you know, the next logical leap is the predator filleting a snake. Yeah. Thing is, that all happens within like the diameter of like three feet. These yeah. guys are all just <laughs> sitting next to each other in plain sight, open view to everybody. I got suffocated by that heavy metaphor. <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right. So let's, uh, yeah, let's kind of go in. I figured, you know, we, we'd easily kind of go into prey here, but um, well, first of all, let's look at our, our protagonist, um, you know, Arnold as as protagonist of the first film, he is at the height of his powers. Now, I don't mean that as Arnold. I mean that as his character in the film. Yeah. You know, he is a well-established leader of this group, you know, helping Carl Weathers do, you know, his shady shit that he's not telling everybody. But, you know, because it's, you know, there wouldn't be a movie if he didn't have that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he's a guy who's is there to do a job in like people because people know what he is capable of. The protagonist in Prey is the opposite. Mm -hmm. Very talented, but has to has to, you know, this is basically, you know, is a prequel in multiple levels because it is a prequel to the story. Although I I don't know. I mean, in the rest of the franchise, is it established that the Predator is a time traveler? Are we to believe that he is time traveling I here? I don't think time travel comes in it at See, all. See, that's what I'm thinking here. Is this a time travel situation or is this an actual chronological prequel? I think it's chronological. Randy, your thoughts? <laughs> no idea. So I think... I assume time travel. So check this out. Uh, in the original Because why would he not? So in the original Predator, there's a... There's uh, like scary thoughts gets into it. And they, they mention one of the strengths of Predator, which is a braggadocious testosterone overflowing film, is there's some subtlety in there. And they never really tell you exactly what's happening. And one of my favorite theories is that the government is aware that predators are a thing. So what might be happening is that the government, because Carl Weathers and Arnold, they like Dutch, they have a past friendship, but now they're kind of at odds, right? 
Like, what's the matter? The CIA's got you pushing too many pencils? Like, they're kind of uh, in conflict. Also, Carl Weathers is ripped. Oh, yeah. But, like, next to Arnold, it's just like, well, good try. Next to I know, it's not fair. <laughs> That's why he's the captain of that ship. God, I love that opening where they meet at the bar, and then they do the handshake, oh, yeah. and then it turns to arm wrestling, but you see Arnold's arm next to Carl Weathers' yeah. arm. Like, the air arm wrestling is famous. <sighs> Oksana's been looking for the perfect air arm wrestling shirt for a long time now. I love it. You know, I think people get hung up on the testosterone-ness of Predator, but like... Well, that's what makes you horny for. <laughs> I like the camaraderie of the the military team. Yeah. Like, they're, like, they all know each other really well. They all know how to get under each other's skin. And they're, um, like, the perfect team to work with each other. We're flying into hell to, like, sort shit out. And, you know, if you think of this movie as the government knows about predators like so imagine that the uh, entrepreneurship of the predators are we are an advanced race and we could destroy earth but we also like trophy hunting so if you can give us some like cool people that we could go up against uh, we'll let your planet survive yeah we won't send xenomorphs there to destroy your race because in the comic books that's what they do they seed planets with the xenomorph because you know when you get infected by an alien you become like a superpowered version, but there's no emotion or camaraderie. So, you know, in Predator, they're not using a xenomorph. They're showing up. So there's a little bit of like, maybe Carl's Weathers did something and the government put this together so that they could have, you know, Billy and Dutch face off against the Predator. Now, good thing you brought up Billy. I love Billy. He's my favorite. Billy's awesome. Billy ain't afraid of no man. And that's why I think it's great that they chose the story they did for Prey. With Comanche? With the Comanche tribe. Because, yeah. you know, you've got Billy, the Native American. Don't know if he's Comanche. Yeah. Um, did it say if he's... I don't know. I, there's, a, there's a controversy online of, like, what's canon? Because Prey only paid attention to the film franchise, where after Predator 2, Dark Horse Comics put out a comic book series that was the original start of Alien vs. Predator. Yeah. And that's kind of ignored. There's there's a camuffin, a camuffin. There's a kerfuffle with the origins of the gun in Prey because it originally showed that backstory was written in the comic before it was in Prey. Gotcha. So whatever, we're doing whatever. Okay. Yeah, I just think that having yeah, you you noticed the the clear nods and homages to the original franchise. Uh, which were great, and it it painted a better picture for me again um, of why not do it in the 1700s Comanche Nation, which is a cool thing to do. Yeah, I just think that I I still have some problems with the execution of that to a certain degree. Again, man, the CG was really tough here for me on this, and the the CG animals, man, CG animals. It's just <laughs> yep. I can't get past it. 99% of the time. Having said that, I can't tell you how much I loved the reboot of Planet of the Apes. Okay. That worked for me. For whatever reason, I think we can do CG chimps because they're mimicking humans enough to where, I don't know. And also, we're just, we're, I think it's when you're combining the realism, the realist world with the CG animals. And it's just, it's just a, um, a battle that just, you're not going to win for me. Yeah, it's a battle fought in the uncanny valley. Right. And don't worry, the AIs will correct all this in 10 <sighs> years when uh, they procedurally generate CG that looks photorealistic. As far as the Predator goes in this, thought he was cool. 
here I, i'll i'll tell you my favorite part and my least favorite part of this film give it to me. my what do you want first favorite favorite was the treatment of the predator now again in the current era we are in film when you have like a little sister protagonist i tend to worry that we're just going to get girls rule and she comes in and there's no character art. She's just better. And the whole movie's about how men have ignored her forever. Yeah. She is not that. No. She is failing up in this movie. And I rooted for her constantly. And she also has male support. Yeah. Her brother's there. Which I was dead wrong about the brother. <laughs> yeah, you were. You're like, fuck this guy. You know I how know. I like to write the movie as we're watching the movie. <laughs> and I was dead wrong about the brother. And the brother became... One of my favorite. He was the. He was great. I believe his his character's name was Tabe, but who gives a shit? Because his real name is Dakota Beavers. That actor Hell has yeah. the coolest <laughs> fucking real name. I mean, also uh, Naru. Her real the, name uh, is rad too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amber Mid Thunder. Yeah, dude. Fucking. I mean, the Comanches know how to name people. If that's actually where they're from, I have no idea of tribe origin. I will. You know, I had um shared the scary thoughts episode on Instagram, and I was like, hey. If you want to get grounded again, go listen to them break down Predator. And uh, Chad hit me up and asked if I had read that book that Rogan is always talking about, uh, Empire of the Summer Moon. And he was just like, dude, this is the definitive writing on the Comanche. So again, if you watch this on Hulu, there was actually a, there was a dub available in Comanche. And um, I'm kind of curious what that would sound like. I think it's pretty cool that they did it. It's a little cute, but I'm like, because the actors were speaking English, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like a dub, but in Comanche. That I was think I would thing. like that more. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that, that was one of the problems I had with the film. Because I'm like, okay, I didn't know if they were trying to elevate the genre. Yeah. And again, I say that with throw up in my throat. Because anytime we talk about elevating and genre and things like that, it's just, you know, hey, nauseating. Yeah. But I mean, it... it it's a subject that has to be breached on that end because I, I feel like we're doing that and I didn't know it was like, what are we trying to get art house with fucking predator now? And after rewatching predator, no, I no. don't think that we are at all. And I just, and that's why it just made a clearer vision to me that we're just using this as a background. Yeah. Now again, anytime that we deal with specific time, you know, period piece. Yes. Period piece. Thank you. Um, well, I was trying to stay away from that because everything's a 1700s, <laughs> but you know, yes, yeah. I, there's something with me to where I, I feel like an effort should be made to honor the, um, you know, the, the research, the dialogue of that time. So you're a Vich fan, man. Yeah. You know, I am, uh, yeah, the you know, I am now here's the thing. I'm not saying that everything needs to be that meticulous. Because the Vavitch is meticulous. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he's, he's a madman. Well, here's the thing. I think it's like The Mist. Like when The Mist was originally going to come out, uh, the director whose name I don't remember. Frank wanted, Darabont. Wanted it to be black and white. And really? it'd be like, this would be more true to the genre and the type of movie I'm making. But they're like, no, people won't watch it. And I think the same thing with The Comanche. I fucking love The Mist. I think this room and probably people listening to this show would be, why not just do it in Comanche? That's fucking cool. It's unique. But yeah. I think you lose that Hulu audience. Who's and like, that, for sure. Yeah. That's my thing. I feel like had we gone in the, you know, the native Comanche tongue. Yeah. I don't and know we, what that and, was. and we go in theater. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know how theatrical this was for me. Well, here's the thing. Hey, we, we had the volume loud. We projected it. The CG bullshit. Okay, fuck the CG. Yeah. I know you were getting sleepy during it. Fuck. My, so here, back to my problem with the film. Also, I, fuck that quicksand bullshit. I have two problems. Uh, I just want to say that I did like this movie overall. And I, I, I like it too. Honestly, it's right there with Predator 2 for me. Like, I, I liked it a significant amount. My main problem... Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's going to pass Danny Glover, dude. No, I said it's right there with Okay. It. Th- that movie's got a lot of issues, too, when you go back and look at it. Was Danny Glover. It's like post-apocalyptic 90s. It's yeah. fucking weird. Um, And, oh, dude, the Jamaican, like, voodoo stuff, like when they're reading the bones, I love a good scrying. I love to see it portrayed visually. Anyway, this film, two complaints. One, uh, Clark mentioned it while we were watching it. The dialogue is a little rough to get through. And I feel like that would have been uh, eluded having been in subtitles with a Comanche. It's kind of distracting when you hear like these kind of, I don't know. That problem is actually rooted in my other problem, which is movie lacks characters. I uh, got into a, um, somebody DM'd me on Instagram. And they were talking about how this movie had a female protagonist and 12 of the same character. Mm. And I'm like, hey, that's a fair point, man. It's, it's not wrong. Like the tribes people other than her brother are favorite Dakota Beavers. They're all the same. They're all pretty much two dimensional yeah. kind of like shitty dudes. And, you know, when you want to compare that to the pr- to Predator, that's a cast of characters. That's an ensemble of fucking ridiculous pro wrestlers. Because you know what I felt like? I felt like this is just like a different version of The Wire or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a gang. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're like, you know, you can't be in the gang. But none of them were really fleshed out. No. Honestly, it's um, it's funny because there's a part in the movie where we get uh, some, like, pirate-type characters, some French buccaneers. Oh, boy. They felt more fleshed out to me than the actual Comanche tribe that we deal with. Okay, now, now here's... We don't we cut have, this out if you need to, Randy. But because we're, we 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 there's just some, bleep it. It's funnier. There's a <laughs> there's a salacious element to how we watch this film, and I need to know. Oh, that doesn't matter. We had it downloaded. I un, all well, three of us pay for Hulu, so I have no qualm with that. Yeah. So we watched the downloaded version for whatever reason. For the internet reasons, it's very clear we didn't want to deal with any latency issues. Okay. Having, yeah. Okay. Then okay. Also, when you download a movie. We were guaranteed the best audio quality. Like I said earlier in Predator, hey, we want to get immersed. Okay. Yep. Great. My question still stands. Is that Randy in, I, you watched the Hulu version. Yeah. In I, I'm pretty stuff, sure I know what you're going to ask. Yep. Is the French language captioned? I was going to ask you guys the same thing because my captions just showed French language. I, t- I called it. Okay. I called yeah, it. They so I don't think we're supposed to know. Yes. Okay. I like that. Dude, it's perfect. Me too. Yeah. I just, but I, I, look, I like that. But the fact that we watched like the version that's not the I version, know. I just yeah, didn't yeah. know if we were missing something. Yeah. The craft calls. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, it, it does matter if it's intentional <laughs> or not. But again, that's very Hitchcockian. He always talked about a movie where a U.S. Uh, pilot gets dropped in like Germany or something, doesn't speak the language. Yeah, right. And his whole thing was there's one translator and you're kind of at his behest because if he's lying to you, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah, got no problem with that. And they, hey, that's a very like art house approach. Also, it kind of works with marketing because I, like I said before, they would have went Comanche if anybody wanted to fucking read. So they're like, yeah, hey, fuck <sighs> it, just thing, cut yeah. it. And 
I, yeah, I, I wanted them to go apocalypto. But with dude, how, how much more vibrant was that like French pirate like area? All of their costumes felt super lived in. Everybody had little trinkets. They all felt unique. The, Everyone had smallpox. Everybody had several diseases <laughs> uh, known only to the gringos. And, you know, you just juxtapose that to, um, you know, the Comanche, they did really have a cool interior in one of the, the, the teepees. But like, other than that, it felt in their bungholes. It, <laughs> it felt kind of like I don't know. Like they didn't give them enough like depth, like love. Now, one of one of the biggest things of where people are uh, attacking this movie is the portrayal of the Comanches. Why within this film? Why? Because they were like they just said it was a lame portrayal of the Comanches. So here in my in my mind, when I was imagining what this movie might be, my perfect version of Prey would have opened with the Comanches slaughtering a village of uh pilgrims of people trying to uh populate america because you know there was an indian war in this country and the super group of indians that fought back because they were correct they were like hey this government they're gonna keep pushing us into little pens and we're gonna lose our land and they were right but they were fucking brutal they would cut your arms off cut your legs off, throw you onto an open fire while you're alive. They would scalp women and send them. They were, they were not to be fucked with. And I thought really show why a predator would want to fight a Comanche, like have them brutalize some dudes. And then, you know, you get, you get the dread thing, which is why I love dread because in dread, you really set a standard for, uh, Carl Urban's character as judge dread. To be a badass. Yeah. But then later on in the third act, you up it because he's going to fight other judges. And you're like, oh shit, I don't know if he could do this. Dread's really good. Dread is fucking good. And it's a perfect like genre portrayal of a protagonist. And I thought in this movie, it wasn't the same arc because she was failing upward, like we said. But um, now back to what I really liked about this movie was the, the way they portrayed the predator. He wasn't a pushover. He wasn't a background image. He he got good kills. I love the mask. I love the look. Yeah. I uh the post I made I believe about this movie was saying I've sworn off of buying NECA toys. They do great jobs, but I don't need them, man. I'm I'm drowning in pop figures over here. I will buy that toy. I love the shield. They you know they treated him like a like a, a fan would treat a, a property they love. Yeah, and he was not to be fucked with. I but loved it. Now, also, you know, the, the French, I mean, they're also, <laughs> that's the real predator. Yeah. Because of what they did to the buffaloes. I know. Now, that was, so if you're that gonna, was a reveal. If you're going to do a little bit of social commentary, well, here's the thing. If you're a fucking fan of Predator, you would know he wouldn't have just skinned a bunch of buffalo and 100%. left them there. 100%. He would have killed one and stole its skull and spine. Yeah. I was like, that's a, that's a lot of buffalo to be doing the same thing over yeah. and over again. Well, he's still not eating the meat. Also, those things look like bacon wrapped, like uh, <laughs> jalapenos or something. I mean, clearly the French stole all of the buffalo wings. I didn't see a single wing out there. Yeah. Also, I mean, they just skin it like that's a lot of buffalo meat. You're not uh, using any of that meat. Yeah. What's what's up with the French, Randy? You're wearing a French film shirt right now. I think you need to answer. Buffalo's yeah, good me. meat, dude. <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. Right? Doesn't Lahaine transfer into the hate? It does, yeah. Oh, so they hated the buffalo is what you're trying to say, dude. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the French, they only eat frogs and snails. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, to close the book on this, I realize that you guys have tanked my target goal of an hour with all your uh, intellectual 
Um, well, we talk about the rehearsal for 45 minutes every week. True. Hey, it, it deserves it. I know, but I love that because, you know, we, we all three watch it and it, like, this is our opportunity to talk about it just on the show. And pray we had to talk about pray. And I do think it's a good movie. I, I stand by my cinematography beautifully shot. The choreography is a little lackluster. The CG animals. My God. It's rough. The bear. Yeah. Dude, the bear, it's such a dramatic oh, moment. That, I fuck the bear. Fuck the bear. <laughs> oh, God. The bear bounding up the hill is some of the clunkiest CG. You know, you know one of my favorite moments of us watching that movie <laughs> is you see that stupid ass bear. <laughs> and then Terrell goes, do bears walk like that? And I said, no, they don't. <laughs> my favorite part of the movie was when there was a, uh, when the Frenchman all their horses got scared and ran off. And Trail went, oh no, the cattle. <laughs> he, called, he called a herd of horses cattle. <laughs> also, uh, Terrell, I love you to death. If you're not watching Blu-ray Tuesday on our YouTube channel, you're a fool and not a real fan and we don't love you. Um, I got one more movie to talk about. Should we? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, what was it? I fucking forgot. Also, you know, I realized <laughs> we had skipped a segment. Oksana, should we hold it off till next week or do you want to do it? Yeah, let's skip it. Well, I don't know. You want to do it? We well, you got to do it right now, though. Is the thing we got? We gotta, let's hold off. Okay, we can hold off. We can flesh it out. Well, how about how about the visual one? Oh, <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. R- raise that <laughs> dilemma. Here we go. Um, you know, I uh, as a fan of art and a fan of the show and hanging out with friends and talking, I love you know my craft. It might not be Minecraft. Uh, Minecraft. Oh, thank. You. Like Minecraft. <laughs> my my craft. <laughs> Is uh the weapon I think I wield best. Weapon of choice. The art of stingers. And oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> this week, um we have a uh we got a couple emails. So I'm like, female bag. What so before we started recording, I was like, hey Randy, want to cut a rehearsal stinger? And he's like, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, maybe I'll do it. And I'm like, ah, honestly, I don't want to fuck that up. But then when I realized we had emails, I'm like, oh, I could fuck that up and nobody's gonna care. So did I stall long enough for you? I mean, I'm just not sure how. The only thing I can. It's think fine. Of- Hold on. Let me let me intro this with the stinger. Here we go. We got some female bag, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've got a formula, <laughs> and you're sticking to your formula. I know. I'm gonna bury it. It's bad. I'm like, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna undermine my psycho magic. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what you've done. I know. I know. You, you're bad. in a sophomore slump. <laughs> Dude, it's true. But I, you know, I was working under like a 30 second window. So that was good. <laughs> I mean, we could reflect on what's happening there. Is she like wrapping somebody in a nope. bag? Is she, keep okay, it okay, let's go. I mean, okay. So <laughs> uh, I saw a trailer on Instagram Too for a, a movie called Hypochondriac from XYZ Films. And I don't know. The first thing that came to mind was Clark's self-admission that he's a hypochondriac. But I didn't really, I didn't do anything. This like, played oh. at the Alamo and almost went. Yeah, I, I didn't um, look into the movie, but Terrell ended up watching it. He said, it's crazy. I, I do want to check it out. So there's a lot of dicks in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, built as an uh, LGBTQ yeah. horror. Knife plus heart. Fantastic film. The next day we got an email and the only way I can think of is I'm going to put it in this group chat we have for the podcast. 
It just said, Clark, I love you, but I had to do it. And if you want to look Clark's that, face right now is one of uh, hesitant disgust. <laughs> I, I can't tell if it comes from him being a, a Christian boy and terrified that he might be looking at a penis, or if it's from a comedian who might be uh, upfront with a terrible joke. First of all, if you knew how many penises I see per day. <laughs> and, and you call yourself a hypochondriac. That's right. All right. So did you They're throw sterile. it in the chat? I did. All right. I think I might be able yeah, to pull it up good. on the computer. Okay, here I I can move it up here, Clark. Thank you. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's creepy, Clark. I know. Yeah. Does that overlook our podcast? For he him? thought it was a blood clot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, Oksana, go ahead and read that. Oh, it's very good. I mean, yeah, the overlook our podcast presents clark w little's hypochondriac he thought it was a blood clot (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good this is very good uh, courtesy of rich (laughs) rich made this rich yeah richie i love it (laughs) wow Um, this is very good Okay, Kim, we got to put that up. This will go up on Tuesday. So I mean, you- uh, the one thing that Creepy Clark was missing was a Karen haircut. <laughs> oh, God. Can we all agree? <laughs> he made that on his phone at work, too. I'm Real. like, that's, Damn. that's amazing. <laughs> that's how you do a shit post. Yeah, Fantastic. I'll, I'll share it with the episode. <laughs> that's good. All right. And, uh, you know, we were going to do another segment of the PR poll thing. It's been a while since we had some fan art. Yeah, I know. Y'all are sleeping. Um, you know, honestly, it'd be a great place to house them if we had a Discord up. Randy? <laughs> I was mostly poking you. Randy would do it. You know, I don't understand what happens he with Discord. Teasing. Everybody wants it I to know. happen. Every, I'm so would, sorry. Okay. would participate. But... We already have a 4chan, so I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> it's <laughs> like not like you enjoy it anyways. On, we're doing good things on 8 Coon right now, oh, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so next week, let's do the PR thing. Okay. okay. I know I know you're probably ready for it. Also, if I'm like barreling forward through the beginning after David Lynch opens up our show, just tap me. Let me know. I, I, I can mean, stop it. Again, one of them comes out pretty soon, but So is it time restricted? Maybe just throw it you know what? Let's do this PR poll. Just throw it up on uh social media. Okay. All right, yeah. And let us know because otherwise me and Clark will have it actually might be better. We have no idea of the film. Anyway, the last film, I promise we're going to end this soon. Can we, uh, can we throw that on Twitter and give Rich credit for that? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, on Tuesday. Um, so the last film I'm going to talk about is actually a tie-in to our guest this week. Uh, we're going to be covering the upscaled, beautifully released, large bundle edition of Night of the Demon put out by Seven Films. Um, Night of the Demon, again, if you've been listening to the show for a while, You've heard me talk about Kai's Bigfoot Bonanza out here at the Balboa Theater, where me and seven other people you've probably heard on the show before were in uh, for a treat as we watched this at midnight after a long day. That's like five years ago. Dude. Of nonfiction. Yeah, but I've brought it up every now and then. I know, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, it was all mostly nonfiction uh, documentaries about Bigfoot. And then we were gifted the treat of an avant-garde sleaze fest uh, directed by a porn filmmaker and none of us knew what we were in for so when we saw the film kick off with a bigfoot print pulling with blood 
we uh, were very tired drunk. Bigfoot footprint. Yeah. 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 Bigfoot footprint. You know, the, the thing all Bigfoot hunters are looking for. Pull with blood. Uh, we knew we were in for a camp extravaganza and we were excited. And I've had this fond, nostalgic memory of that moment and that weekend forever. And when Severin put it out, I said, yes, I'm buying it. I don't care if it's a couple hundred dollars. It came with a statue, a patch, stickers, a poster, an awesome slipcover, two discs in the Blu-ray, and a novel. And I'm like, I'm doubling down on this. I, I love that movie. It's fantastic. Well, I thought it would be fun if I jumped the novel up and uh, put it on top of my queue. And then I was like, after I read the book, I'll rewatch the movie. Um, so this week, we're going to have Brad Carter, the author of that book, who authored the book after the movie was done. It's an important distinction to make. And uh, we've already recorded it, so it's I, I can plug it. Yeah. It, Brad fucking rules. Great interview on Thursday. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's interesting to talk to, you know, a guy who gets paid to, you know, novelize films, uh, yeah, which said, is an interesting art. He's got like official fan fiction or something. I don't know. Fan fiction is such a derogative term, yeah. but I think the, the important thing to note there is that they're fans. So the treatment is in the hand of somebody who's paying attention. And he, I'll tell you right now, we watched the movie and I came in fucking pumped. And I left thinking, holy shit, this movie isn't as good as the book. And I also, I, I in hindsight, I'm like, oh, we must have been tired. We were probably falling asleep during this thing because I don't remember shit from this movie. I remember highlights, like, of course, the, uh, motorcyclist getting his dick ripped off sure but honestly they don't even really show it you get to see his wiener you see a dick you see a uh perfectly framed uh phallus nice nice penis and uh, nothing wrong with that penis the my biggest disappointment though was the mental image that that book painted of the bigfoot was a horrific monster you know what i forgot to bring up with him mm. in the film every time we have the killer pov from bigfoot uh there's like a red filter around the uh peripheral the the peripheral of the camera mm -hmm. and in the book he calls uh the bigfoot red eye like that's the name that is given to him by one of the characters and i was wondering if that was like a callback to the craft but this is the kind of shit we're dealing with it was a callback to wes craven Duh. oh my god yeah that fantastic film no and um night of the demon i mean i was so stoked to watch it with clark and then i'm watching it and i felt betrayed by the characters because because Brad had fleshed them out and made them so interesting. Yeah. That I'm like, what I talk about that in the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I'll try and stay away from that. As far as a film fan, if you're into Bigfoot exploitation. Oh, here's the thing. One of the things I've gotten wrong that really bummed me out that I was wrong about it was I remember at the end of the film, Bigfoot does a home invasion and he's wielding an axe and he kills people with the axe. Now, he does hold the axe at one point. But in that home invasion scene, it's pretty, I don't know, lackluster. I mean, on the cover of the Blu-ray, it's a couple of like Bigfoot mitts, like padded hands, kind of like ape-like. And one of them's holding up an axe. So I'm, I thought for sure this had happened. But my nostalgia brain, I created some false memories. And at the end of the day, um, the film, my God, it's more of a avant-garde piece in the way that the narrative is un unveiled it's so confusing to watch like there's there's dream sequences that are 
futuristic shots, but there's so many flashbacks in the film that if you look away, you're like, what the fuck are we doing? Correct. Here? Yeah. It's, I don't know. So how did, did you enjoy the film? Well, there's titty sucking. Oh, well, <laughs> man. And I know we talk about it in the interview, but it's jarring. Also, these, now let's talk about titties for a second. <laughs> these, let me get again, the stinger in. These were not your classic 70s, pointy, perky boobs that you see. Oksana, you seem to believe that you know, this, this was some sort of a enhancement. And I, I would agree. Well, I thought they might be just like a plastic breastplate or something because they were kind of weird shaped and they didn't move. And then, <laughs> yeah. But that's when I, I didn't know that the director had made porn before and these were probably adult actors who, I don't know, were probably okay uh -huh. with titty sucking. Oh, <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> mouth, mouthful of, mouthful of It's tits. jarring because, you know, you watch a lot of these films and the boob will be out. Yeah, but the nipple usually doesn't get touched. And no titty sucking. And if it does, it's noteworthy. Yeah, but this was straight up like uh, he was feeding. Oh yeah, and it was—I don't know—made me feel kind of icky. <laughs> it was sleazy. No, for made sure. me feel hungry. <laughs> oh, <my> God, <laughs> maybe I want some milk. So yeah, I mean, God, man, coming off of the book was probably the the wrong idea because characters were fleshed out in a way. There was much more nuance. There was much more drama, and. Uh, Honestly, we're kind of stuck with a professor who's an anthropologist who's out there looking for Bigfoot, and we jump right into this shit. There's really no mise-en-scene in no. this film. You just kind of teleport from also, scene Also, the scene. cinematography in this is wild. It's avant-garde. Yeah. It feels like somebody was getting experimental. Yeah. Also, there's a little uh, found footage vignette. Or almost like they didn't know what they were doing. That's probably what happened. <laughs> But there is a very cute found footage moment where like somebody's like picnicking and then uh I mean it's very true to form as they don't actually capture the Bigfoot on film. There's just like a little bit of hair that comes uh across the lens as it's falling. Um the film's fucking weird. Randy, what's your views on picnics in general? Uh they're okay. <laughs> I, I'm down. I don't know. I'm not a huge um I mean I like a sandwich from like a an establishment, you know, like a submarine sandwich, but I'm not like a uh, make my own sandwich kind of person. I feel like that's what you do for a picnic. What do you mean you're not a make my own sandwich <laughs> kind of guy? I don't know. I'd rather have a, a different type of lunch. I don't know. Now, it's funny that you guys are talking about too many food. carbs, you know, because in the book, this is like <laughs> a topic that we get into. And, you know, when we when we talk to Brad, he talks about needing to you. You're working with a 90 page script but he's making a 300-page novel. So there are things that come up where people are like complaining about their canned beans and eating it. And it, it might seem like it's padding, but it's really not because everything is feeding into characters. Who's taking this seriously? There's something that happens in the movie where they find this like shack out in the middle of nowhere and they are trying to get clues from this guy. In the book, it's this long journey to this very rural area. And they end up camping outside of the shack, which kind of feels like an intrusion in the book. In the movie, they're like, yeah, let's camp here. And it's almost like nonchalant. But you're like, how weird is that to like pitch a tent in front of somebody's house? Yeah. Especially somebody who didn't want you there. You can go to jail for that. <laughs> Thank you. So, no, but there, there's like an inherent drama there. And there's also like suspense. Like if our characters are sleeping outside of a dude who's being portrayed as like a gun-toting redneck. 
you would think maybe in the night he might come and fuck you up. But like the tone of fucking Night of the Demon never gets there. And the thing that I uh, was working towards earlier is just the portrayal of Bigfoot. Big, scary monster, red eyes in the book. In the film, it's uh, Lou Ferrigno who went to spirit shop. 100%. And is wearing some <laughs> hairy gloves. The dude strikingly looks like Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. And it's a compliment. Uh, some. Nah, he's got, he's got a good physique. <laughs> Still, if we're talking uh, Predator... I mean, we all know Lou Ferrigno will forever live in the shadow of Arnold. Lou Ferrigno's a dick. Yeah. And? I'm just saying. He's also a terrible Hulk. Also, we never even mentioned the Hulk movie. Because we've been watching the She-Hulk trailer all week. We're very <sighs> pumped so for it over excited. here. She-Hulk attorney at law. So, uh, as, I <laughs> end the, as I wrap up on Night of the Demon... Um, that's that's where we are in this world, where the new TV shows are She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and Is This Cake? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, okay, read the book. I If you like, now I'm even talking to you. I know you probably haven't read a book in years. Maybe you've got some goosebumps. I know how horror fans are. You saved them. They got the, the goosebumps on the, the text. It's cool. I love the <laughs> texture. Go back, pull those books out. Look at how short they are, how easy they were to read. Night of the Demons like that, but it's very adult. It expands on the film. If you're a fan already, I highly recommend you make the time. I read this book on my breaks at work. I'm talking 10 minute intervals. I started looking forward to my breaks to jump back into the woods and find Sasquatch. I highly recommend it. Brad is fantastic. Um, to get back to She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Oh, there's something Why? I was thinking about with Prey and with Night of the Demon. Where Prey and Night of the Demon are both examples of somebody returning to an IP and loving the subject matter. Like the predator in Prey is treated with respect. They make him cool. I agree. In Night of the Demon, that book elevates the movie. We think about it in an interesting way. The trailer for She-Hulk confuses me because we're doing the little sister thing that I was worried about in Prey. Where, you know, Hulk's here and he's trying to help She-Hulk out. And he's just like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you through this, right? He's very beavers in that way. And he's like, I'm going to be here for you. But She-Hulk's like, I don't need you. I'm already better than you. And, you know, he'll, he'll be there. Mark Ruffalo's like, as a Hulk, you have to be zen. You have to control your rage. And she's like, done it. And she does like a handstand air Indian, right? And that's what I was worried Prey was going to be. Where it's like, girls rule, boys drool. Yeah. I'm going to hold down a job and I'm going to do the thing that you were doing better. And it's like, wait, wait. Yeah, we didn't get that in neither. In Prey, and that's great. Or in Night of the Demon. Yeah. Like, treat it with respect. They and did. She Hulk, man, I'm cringing for that. Um, I, but I can't wait to hear Randy's review of the show. Well, because <laughs> that's why the Russo brothers <laughs> can go fuck each other and their brother assholes. I bet they do that. Oh my God. <laughs> you think they sleep in bunk beds? Oh, wow, Randy. That was a mean <laughs> shot. Randy's firing shots over here. Then nobody's going to get it. That's right. I got it. And <laughs> I didn't take it as a shot because I still think that was a good joke. Okay. For those two dummies. Now, see, here's the thing. When a joke, when a joke, when a joke is insulting, if it's funny, it trumps being offensive. How am I not going to say that to Benson and Moorhead? <laughs> <laughs> those two can't pee without being in the bathroom together. Incredible dudes. I think they were just their new tight. movie looks cool. 
Yeah, well, you know what's not cool? Their interview they did on the Overlook <laughs> Hour. But you know what is? Thursdays with Brad Carter. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.